I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Narsen, presented by Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. Here for UAE Tour Stage 5, another sprint from Razal Kaimar Corniche to Almajan Island, 182 k's long, and we've seen this sprint before last year, regularly in UAE Tour. There was some echelon action potential, there's some intermediate sprint points, but likely to be a sprint. Cavendish crashed heavily yesterday. We're thinking, will he go for the sprint? He did start. But yeah, he did crash heavily. So the question was, how would he go? Would Bike Exchange get the lead out right for Gronovec? And would Philipson go well again? Olaf Coy, Sam Bennett, and his new Bora train, how would they go? But you're on Echelon Watch again, Benji, early in this stage. And apparently, according to you, small groups went away. Yeah, I saw a bit of an Echelon action at the start of the stage. I don't actually know who uh, initiated it, that one, but... We did notice that two riders were behind, and that was Gena and Yates, two important riders that were pretty high up in GC. Gena basically closed that down 90% him. <laughs> the entire gavel, like 15 seconds on the group ahead, and they were riding ahead, so pretty proper work. Pogacar working a lot in the echelons as well, in front echelon of goals, because he saw that Yates was behind most likely. After that, it came close together again pretty soon after, so nothing too crazy. It started being a resty stage once again, pretty relaxed, nothing happening. And in the last 35 kilometers, once again, echelons seem to be occurring for like three, five to four kilometers, but nothing too crazy. The group just split in two and then came back together in the span of uh, two minutes. So nothing too outrageous and nothing uh, happened too much. But then we came to that point towards the end of the stage where you've got this curved road to the right. And then you've got around about 2.9k to go, and it turns back. And we started that curve to the right, and we saw someone having a puncture at the back of the peloton. Well, there was Kirkler went free first. There was yeah, a you're lone, right, you're right. lone breakaway, the Czech national champion, and there was a bit of the peloton not really doing anything. And he had one minute 30 into the last eight kilometers of the sprint stage. I'm, the Gazprom rider, I'm like, surely he can't win this. Alperson didn't want to chase. But then he got kind of ruined because Pagacha punctured, the man who's had good luck for a long time. We saw George Bennett move to the front with like seven Ks to go and put the brakes on. And then Kirkler got a bit of a bigger gap. And we saw Pagacha sliding out the back quick. Well, not actually that quick a bike change, but he had Mikkel Bjerg with him in the cars. But this was the last six Ks. He's trying to come back and the lead out, he got a bit lucky, Benji, I think. No quick step lead out, no real bike exchange lighting it up at that point. He really just had Movistar on the front, so he was able to come come back. Ineos didn't pace. Would you have paced if you were Ineos? I probably wouldn't have. It would have been a bit lame to win the uh, UAE Tour based on Pogacar puncturing in the last five kilometers. Then again, 
when I'm in action, I might not have a heart to uh, not face. So we don't know that yet. But uh, I, I probably wouldn't have. Would you have? Probably not. <laughs> because if it was the Tour de France, 100%, yes, of course, yeah. uh, I would have paced. Uh, but, and I would have, yeah, told Gannon to go to the front and rip it with a plan. But <laughs> it's a UAE tour. Pagacha's on UAE. We've got her feet coming up. Also, yeah. Considering it is the UAE tour, if you do it to him now, what if you have a puncture with 6K to go in the tour and they're like, ah, oh, we wouldn't have paced normally, but because he did exactly. it to us in the UAE tour, we'll do it to him. No, exactly. You set yourself up for retaliation in a, in a race that is more important for the Ineos, the Tour de France. But he got back with about 5Ks through the convoy before the sprint trains really started to light it up with 4Ks to go. FDJ coming through on the right-hand side for DeMar early. And it's the same thing each day, Benji. The two long trains of FDJ and Bike Exchange go to the front of the race with 4Ks to go and then they're nowhere to be seen with 1K to go. What are you seeing from them? Are you seeing like old school sprint tactics of let's have the longest train possible and that's not working against an Alperson who just punch up really late after being in the wheels all day? I think it's a combination of the road that they were on allowing other teams to come over them and the having of a longer train and it's the thing that we see dsm having issues with in previous sprints last year and also this year at certain points where they've got their sprint at the fr- sprint train at the front with 4k to go four or five riders at the front and then you realize that alpacin's moving on the right side of the road which is an open area on this stage the entire last 2.9 kilometers towards 400 meters to go is open on the right side of the road and people can come back over you at that point they can wave over you with their train just like happened last year on the same parkour so yeah they could have seen that coming that they were uh not supposed to be on the left side of the road at the front already because people are going to come over you in the last three kilometers and that's exactly what happened to them and that's why towards the actual sprint happening they were starting to get blocked blocked in Block, and, block, I can't talk. Well, blo- uh, blocked in, new word, blocked <laughs> and boxed in, they were blocked in. So Kirkle was caught with about three Ks to go. Great effort from him. Maybe if Pagacha hadn't punctured, he would have made it. Probably not. And it's what Benji was saying, and Pagacha said it after the stage. He said, these are not like European roads. If you're out of position here, you can you can make it back if your team helps you if you're in this on these wide highways on narrow european roads sometimes if you have five men in front of you as a sprinter on your team and you guys could take control with three k's to go and there's corners and it's four men across maybe no one can move up so i think uae sprints are indeed different to a lot of the sprints we see i'm looking at the overhead with three k's to go it's literally 10 trains across and <laughs> everyone gets a chance to move up. But as Benji said, there was that a huge left-hand roundabout uh, with about two Ks to go. Israel moved up with Impey and Dowsett before then going for Barbier. Alperson had moved up at that point, but then they sort of, I think they waited. Philipson said Rickart had a mechanical what was the next corner, the next pivotal moment, Benji? Because there was kind of a lull after that huge 270-degree turn till 400. 
So basically in that last 1.5 kilometers, there was still an opportunity to move up and some teams tried to do that. Bike Exchange tried to do that after being waved over earlier already on the right side of the road, but they were too far back at that point. Again, with four riders trying to do the same thing. They still had the riders because they didn't spend it on the left because they got boxed in. So that's a bit of a, a sequel to the Bike Exchange discussion of a second ago. Other teams tried as well. We saw, I think, Timo Rosen moving up with Olaf Kuhn on the right as well, trying to position Koi into a a wheel that was competitive and, and they seemed to succeed. Yes, and Dumoulin also moved up, had, trying to... Uh, well, it, it's kind of weird, right? Because Bora was also there, but something happened. Yeah, Dumo was moving up the right-hand side and Mullen was with the Bora train. He kind of moved across off Alperson and maybe he was overtired after his Twitter tirade against me last night since deleted, where he said, you know, it's... I struggle to ride in a straight line at the end of stages at 200 BPM. Maybe Dumo should have known that because Mullen drifted into him. Dumo was like, uh, what are you doing? And then Mullen gave him a big shoulder and Dumo was like, what's your problem? Waving at him. Anyway, Rosen ended up putting Coy in a good position where Philipson slotted onto Bennett's wheel as well as coming together through that last right-hand bend and Coy ended up fighting Malucelli, the Gazprom sprinter, who's been in good position all week, and he got onto Sam Bennett's wheel. Danny Van Poppel did a magic lead out once again for Sam Bennett, bringing him up off. I think Guarnieri was there, and then Damar was, I don't know where he was, but Coy and Malicelli were fighting for Philipson's wheel. Van Poppel today, through a gentle right-hand bend, opens up the inside for Bennett, which he didn't do the other day, and Bennett yep. sprints through it, jumping. Ackerman went way earlier here last year, but Bennett jumps through there, closes to the barriers. Coy has been sort of jumped early at about 200 when it straightened up, and Philipson just came over the top of Bennett and destroyed everybody. Coy had to check his sprint and then go back left around Bennett and Philipson, but he never got up to Philipson's wheel. So much more impressive from... Coy today, well, better positioning from him. Malicelli's positioning for Gazprom's yeah. impressed me, but the speed difference between Philipson and Bennett, Benji, I never thought Philipson could be this fast. I thought it was like a classicsy sprinter, but maybe those Tour of Turkey sprints last year were better than we thought. I also think he had a step up this year based on last year. He's still young, he's still growing, and he's still learning from sprints as well. And it seems like he's the kind of rider that goes for every little gap that exists, even if they don't really exist, he makes them exist. And somehow he finds a way to go through. I was checking uh, the sprint yesterday, and I saw that he was kind of riding through a rider, it looked like, but he was just riding through the gap ahead of the rider, but you couldn't see it from the helicopter angle. So it's pretty crazy how he jumps for two through all these tiny gaps in the sprint. And I think that allows him to be in a position that is competitive every single time next to having a solid lead out in the likes of Ricard, who wasn't there today because of that mechanical. Well, if you combine all that, you're going to be competitive in a lot of sprints. And if you're competitive in a lot of sprint, you've got more chances to win those sprints. I want to bring it back to Koi versus Malucelli for a second. What do you think between the comparison of those riders? Because I've got a feeling that Malucelli is kind of the rider that sprints like... I would say the Sagan style where he follows people the entire sprint and figures out a way to stay in a position and as a consequence is able to be sprinting every sprint for a top 10 position, but doesn't necessarily have the speed to win a sprint. What do you think about that? 
I agree. He is in the he's just trying to look for the fastest guy and get in his draft and have him sort of drag him along. And the speeds they're going here, seventy k's an hour plus, it makes a big difference. But still, sixth and fourth in a UAE tour world tour sprint yep. with Groenewegen and Demar struggling, it's really impressive. Even if he doesn't really look like uh, winning, but Philipson takes another W. Ahead of Alav Koy, the young Dutch sprinter on Yumbo, Bennett third, Malicelli fourth, Barbier fifth, and Viviani Demar, Dainese, Kanter, and Mark Bristenga, who sprinted instead yep. of Leipinch for Trek. Anyway, now they're just trying something different. Before we discuss uh, Bora Hansgrohe and Sam Bennett, I want to mention our show partner Zwift, the Rafa Rising event starts tomorrow on Zwift, three days taking on three big peaks, including Alp to Zwift, Ventop, and the Watopia Epic KOM, nearly 3,000 metres elevation over three days, with in-game kit unlocks, a GC, and a prize draw for Rafa vouchers if you complete all three stages. Head to Zwift.com to find out more and to start your free seven-day trial. I would like to kidnap you one more time for GC now because uh, Pogacar extended his lead today. Uh, uh, yeah. In the initial echelon, he sprinted in the first echelon for the intermediate sprint. Took away two seconds there. I think Philipson won the sprint and I think Vlasov got third. So two seconds for Pogacar, one for Vlasov. Therefore, the gap between Pogacar and Yates is now 17 seconds instead of 15. And the gap between Vlasov and Yates is now three seconds instead of two. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give that to you. Yeah, Pogacar said he was there and he found, he's like, why not go for the sprint? He said he struggled to beat Philipson. I mean, I forgive him for that, but still, he's got a mean flat sprint on him. And with every second does count. And I think he knows Yates is pretty close and her feet's not tomorrow, but they're still thinking about it. Maybe they'll try again if there's crosswinds uh, possibilities tomorrow. Stage six, Expo 2020 Dubai back around doing a loop and then finishing there as well. 180 kilometers, two intermediate sprints. Benji, don't you think they should put the last intermediate sprint later? Because what's been happening is they catch the break around the intermediate sprint with 50, 55 Ks to go. And then everyone stops pedaling. I swear they were at 42 Ks to go for 20 minutes today. Yeah, but I think it's also a combination of the echelons with how the peloton rides because it seems like they let the gap go out to two, three minutes and then the echelon thing just drops it to one minute every single time at the first True. intermediate today and then later in the race with 4.35k to go. Very much the same story now. I honestly don't know where the wind comes from tomorrow, so I can't tell you which sections will have echelons and if the ones with the intermediate sprints have those, but... I can tell you that it looks like there's a bit of a corner going on in the last, uh, what is it, one kilometer? But the thing with these maps of uh, the UAE Tour is, is that the title of the finish is always above the finish. So therefore, you can't really see the corners in the last kilometer without the roadbook, which I don't have. And as a consequence, I can't tell you if it's, if it's going to be a technical finish or not. But uh, who do you think is going to win the sprint? Is it another one for Philipson, knowing he is the fastest rider based on the sprints we've seen in these sprints and has the best positioning skill together with Ricard as his man to bring him forward? Or do you think that someone else can take the sprint here? Well, Cav said he had a mechanical, or looked like he had a mechanical rather. Yeah. I haven't seen confirmation of it, but he didn't contest the sprint in the end. I think Cavendish, he had a big crash. Not a big, well, it was a heavy crash at speed yesterday. 
don't know how that's affected him. Otherwise, I would have been bullish on Cavendish both today and tomorrow. He looks really good. I think it's going to be Philipson again, Benji. Not very controversial. I think I still think Gronerweg is the fastest man here, and he's been getting boxed in badly and not moving forward. I think I think they need to go. Mez gets more free roll with him. Just make them a pairing and have Mez gets follow Philipson. Okay, similar in the way that Merck was doing for Cavendish in this yep. UAE tour. Then I, I get it. I get it. And like, it's it's obvious that they're having too many riders ahead of Grunewagen because he's always so far back as a consequence. So they indeed need to change something at bike exchange to be able to position Grunewagen well for these sprints. I uh, saying Philipson is kind of boring after two stage wins already. I need to find someone that will come out of nowhere and snipe away a victory. But yeah. Who will do that? That's a very well, he would good have question. said Toy, but he's come second, so it's not even like that's ex- almost not a surprise if he does win. Yeah, that's true. I think um, he can win. I'll say Koi because I like the young sprinters. How old is he these days? 20 years old. We can't forget <laughs> that. That's so crazy. Yeah, and, and uh, Philipson's young. That's true as well, but a bit older, right? Than uh, Koi, 23, 24 at this point? Philipson is 23, turning 24 in March, and he's already got like eight World Tour wins. He's a crazy good rider, and he hasn't really done classics yet, except for Shell the Price. So anyway, I think with Rick, Philipson will be the man to beat. I think people will be wanting to follow his wheel. It's a difficult one to follow because he moves up late, and if you're moving up from deep and you're trying to squeeze through the gap that he's just squeezed through, that gap might not be there when you try and move through it. So he's a difficult wheel to follow. Cavendish, hopefully he's back in good form and we see a sprinter royale with Cav, Bennett, Gronewegen, Coy, Philipson, etc. tomorrow. But thanks as always for listening to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. We'll be back with the sprint number four <laughs> recap tomorrow and we'll see you on the roads of Zwift this weekend. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 